This podcast is made possible by Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, sometimes we've talked about a certain type of ETF that are, that is rated R. And that is a term uh, or a category that, that you've actually come up with. And we're going to spend some time on this episode talking only about that that category, if you will. Yeah. So uh, these are the, we, we call them rated R or the exotic or the power tools of the ETF power world. T- pa- I like power tools. Power tools. Yeah. Um, because in the right hands, they can work wonders and really get the job done. But in the wrong hands, they can actually cut your hand off, right? Like a chainsaw. Or worse. Or worse, right. So- we want to demystify these products. Um, you know, to me, they're demonized a little bit, but I get why they're demonized. I think, uh, you know, the reason rated R to me is a good metaphor is because I believe that in our uh, classification system, we uh, give them a red light just to say, hey, look, there's some some stuff you need to know about these. So let's pause. But like in the movies, just because 10 year olds exist doesn't mean Quentin Tarantino should have to stop making movies. So we we're OK with. Uh, leverage ETFs, VIX ETPs, these these products that are for professionals, we just think they need a rating like a movie. So again, we've got green, yellow, red because we can't use the movie ratings because it's like uh, copyright, unfortunately. So we use green, yellow, red. Power, uh, these ETFs um, are basically all instant red lights, except why, for the why. The reason is because they're triple leveraged or double leveraged, and that means that they'll move twice as much as the index in a day. But they only promise it per day. The way they're structured, which we'll get into, you don't actually get that two or three times over the long haul. Like there's a corrosion element that's like a ticking time bomb. So the longer you hold it, the more you could just lose money because of this sort of um, the math of rebalancing every day. And sometimes, most of the time, all the time, these products come with X's. And that's one way that you can know that you're playing with power tools. Yeah. They they literally say 2X or 3X. Um, they even have the word daily in them to like sort of accentuate that you need to use these uh, for the short term. And who's going to help us understand this world? Um, Sylvia Jablonski. She is uh, from Direction, which makes the most chainsaw of the chainsaws, the 3X. So there's like the, bi- the big chainsaw? Well, there was, look, there was, there was the regular There's like ETFs. the little tiny electric chainsaw, and then there's the big, yeah. big well, chainsaw. Then ProShares came out with 2X. And then direction says, oh yeah, 3X. Okay. Just, you know, if you're really feeling lucky today. Okay. On this episode of Trillions, playing with power tools. Okay, Sylvia, welcome to Trillions. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for having me. So you're the head of capital markets at Direction L ETFs. Yes. Okay, so why do these products exist? 
So the the quick answer is that we would like to democratize leverage. How does that sound? I mean, <laughs> I don't know what that means. So what is that? Yeah, exactly. So um, so there there are three beta products as you guys were discussing. So for every hundred dollars you invest, you get three hundred dollars of exposure to the underlying index for a one day period. So why is that interesting? Well, clients can use these to express high conviction on short term tactical opportunities. So for example, if you think that you know, semiconductors are going to get crushed for the next three days or so, you might look at a 3x bear fund and express the view that you think semiconductors will be both low volatile, downward trending, and have high performance in that day period and generate some alpha from that trade. So leverage effectively amplifies my bet. It, it amplifies your view for the day. And not only that, it allows you to allocate capital efficiently. So you put down $100 and you get $300 of exposure. Maybe I'll walk you through an example just to give you a sense of like real world what actually happens. So let's say um, SMH is down, semiconductor ETF is down 5% in a day. So we have a bear fund. It's called SOXS. Now, if the underlying ETF that we track is down 5% in a day, you have $100, 300 of exposure, 5% move, 3 beta fund. So you earn 15% as that ETF or index goes down 5% in a day. Now, on day two, if you have another move downward of 5%, you make 17.25. And this is what Eric was referring to. This is sort of the positive side of it, where the compounding and the rebalance work in your favor. So the market has been trending downward. You got the direction right, 5% in two days, gives you 32.25 over a two-day period because of the 3x and because of the rebalance. Now, the other side of that or where you don't do quite as well is if semiconductors is down 5% on day one and up 5% on day two. You're not flat. So it's not like buying and selling Apple. Mm -hmm. Apple's up five, down five, you make zero. In this case, you're actually down 2.25. Because on day one, we rebalanced the fund. Mm. So you had 100, 300, you made 15. You have 115, we need to rebalance the fund and buy an additional forty or $30 of exposure from 315 to 345. So this is like you go to Home Depot, rent, rent a power tool, but it comes with like compounding problems that you might not know about. Or compounding benefits. Yeah, compounding I mean, benefits too. And let me jump in on the daily rebalancing. That yeah. is essentially what is, makes the screwy math. People assume you buy it and then, oh, a year later, why am I not up or down 3x? The reason it has to reset daily is because people come in and out of it, right? It's not like you make it for one day and then you close it up for a year. That would make sense then, right, to have it that long term. But because it's a daily trading vehicle, you have to reset every day because of people coming in fresh. Absolutely right. And that's a good point. So there are actually monthly rebalanced mutual funds that are leveraged. So you can hold them for 30 days. And on day 30, the funds rebalance and you get two times one month's performance of whatever index you're tracking. With the daily funds, it is rebalanced on a daily basis. So, you know, for example, if if you had the S&P 500 up 10% this year, it doesn't mean that the bull fund is up 30 and it doesn't mean that the bear fund is down 30. It can be anything. It depends on the path that it took to get there. So trend is your friend. If you look at the Obama bottom 2009 tech till today, it's up 10,230%. I know you love this ETF tech. We've talked about it before. But if you look at gold miners- Techle, by the way, Techle is, I believe- the GOAT performance-wise, <laughs> <laughs> because tech has done nothing but go up. So in this yeah. daily rebalancing, as long as it keeps going up every day, you actually compound that daily resetting. That daily resetting starts to work in your favor. You can get four or five times. 
it's the volatility that will mess you up, and that's called volatility drag, right? Exactly. So so trend is your friend, and range-bound volatility is essentially the enemy of levered inverse ETFs because what happens is during those periods, the ETFs decay. So you have the market going up for a couple of days, the bull funds increase exposure, the bear funds reduce it, and then all of a sudden you have a down day, you have too much exposure in the bull, not enough exposure in the bear, and it doesn't ever catch up. So a lot of hedge funds, for example, have figured out that during those periods, you know, they'll short both the bear and the bull fund because they know that neither will do well in that market environment. So yeah. have to have low volatility and trending markets. I want to get to that trade. It's called the double short. That's like some like hardcore stuff. <laughs> but, but let's just for one second go over Tekle. Okay. Because Tekle to me is the ultimate um, siren. I mean, you look at the returns and it is seducing. So this is daily, this is the compounding effect in effect. So over the 10 years, Tekle is up 4,000 percent. But wow. the index that it tracks is only up 400%. So it returned 10 times wow. if you went in 10 years ago. However, if we found some an, a volatile area, you may find the index was up 100%, but the 3X ETF was down because it was a volatile road. Tech just happens to be a much more smooth path up. And I think that's the big takeaway. I, would, is it fa- f- safe to say the compounding effect, which is the, you know this is like a full moon, it's beautiful when it happens, but it's not the norm. It's well, it's been it's been the norm for the last decade, right? It's no longer the norm, the Fed. To, yeah, because yeah. of the Fed, and we didn't have China trade wars. But if you look, I just looked this up this morning, actually. Okay, so year to date, Tekel up fifty three percent Bloomberg total return, but the month of May, Tech S, the bear fund, up twenty one percent, and Tech L down twenty percent. So it lost twenty percent of its year to date return because markets are volatile and the index is moving down. So those two things together have essentially created a perfect storm. And that's obviously around the macro backdrop and China and Huawei and all that. But So, so I used a word a few minutes ago. I said bet. And you used the word view. Yes. And I'm interested in that because I think one of the, like a layman perspective on this, it really feels like gambling, right? So so how is it not gambling? So I would, I'd throw the question to you, how is investing not gambling? You know, if you view buying IBM mm-hmm. or Apple, you know, 100% risk con- concentration in one name as an investment or a gamble, then I would say your definition is fair either way. Mm-hmm. You know, they work just like stocks do. I think because they have amplified exposure, mm-hmm. there's this sense that the risk is certainly a lot higher. And people might equate that risk to, say, a gambling risk. But these are, you know, investment tools. They're they're very, you know, strategic portfolio allocation tools for short-term tactical traders. You know, I think a lot of them use a whole lot of math and signals to make their decisions mm-hmm. on short-term trends, long-term trends, you know, hedging over the long-term things like that. So I would consider it as much of a trade as buying buying a, a tech stock or a high beta stock right. in in a volatile market. But the key word is that they are trading tools. Right. And and to that end, who's using them? So the mix of, of individuals using them is is across the board. So you have the retail community, you have hedge funds, you have RIAs, you have large asset managers. So it's everyone from, you know, my mom to XYZ hedge fund to XYZ ARB market making shop. What does your mom say when when uh, when you talk to her about my mom the loves leverage, loves leverage, <laughs> loves direction, what, loves tech out. What, 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 what is she but, trading now? But three X China. Yeah, of course, of course. She, Yin you know, and Yang. We wouldn't be related if she wasn't trading. 
saying that. No, but, the, you know, so so actually it's a fair question. But, you know, so my mom is not a short-term tactical investor, right? Uh-huh. She's probably saving for retirement and she's, you know, a long-term buy and hold investor. So for her, she would have to have a short-term conviction. She would have to be an active day trader looking at her account all day long to use these funds. That's who we say is sort of the safe person, you know, the person who stops at the red light and knows it's going to turn green, but is sitting there watching it, right? It's, it's not somebody who's going to, you know, put in a trade and then go golf or play tennis for a month or two. That's not not the right client. Well, to that end, like, what what is, um, if not your mom, maybe my mom, like, what, do, what does she need to know before she were to ever touch something like this? So she needs to know the basis of how the products work, which we talked about, that trend is your friend, low trending, vol- low volatility trending markets are the best uh, environment for these ETFs to be held longer than a day. Volatility means trade very actively, but either way, she needs to know that she has to actively monitor her position, rebounds frequency or frequently, and she needs to have essentially a very high risk tolerance. She has to understand that the losses can be magnified as well as the gains. For the record, I don't think my mom is ready for any of that. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, let me just uh, give one example here, by the way. Yin and Yang, which I mentioned earlier, those are the 3x long and short China. They're over the past 10 years, they're both down. Yin is down 30%. Yang is down 99%. And FXI, the big China ETF, is up 30%. So I think that's an example because China has been volatile. Absolutely. So that's the sort of major warning. That's the hand getting cut off. If you went in there, you were probably unhappy after a couple of years, whereas Tekel, you lucked out because it went up nicely. Absolutely. And if you look at, the, if you look at Yin and Yang and the China products year to date prior to uh, that late day in April where Trump came out and said no deal. Those ETFs were actually, we saw volume increase, 20-day uh, average daily volume increase by 200% plus in those products. The performance was 30% or more in the bull fund, and it completely switched. And to your point, there was this macro event and there was volatility. So now both funds have essentially, over the long term, experienced losses. And Nugget and Dust are another good example. You know, Those are the most volatile ETFs, and they're very much short-term trading tools. And what are they? So they're three X gold miners bull and bear ETF products, and for those, you know, they were definitely one day hold periods. You know, intraday trades. If they were held for the long term, you would have lost on both the bull and the bear product. But if you were looking at sectors like S and P five hundred and Tech L three X Tech for the last decade, when it's been low volatile and trending, those trades have really paid off. Right. Speaking of Nugget and Dust, those are tracking gold miners stocks. There's great, a, great tickers, by the way. Yeah. Well, th- there's JNUG, which tracks junior gold miners, which we all call like the ultimate, like that is like the hardest of the hardcore. At one point in 2016, the first half of the year, it was up 600%. And the volatility on this thing sometimes gets to 15 times the S&P 500. I mean, this thing should, they, you, you should ship a Xanax uh, <laughs> with the buy order when you buy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You need, so, you know, you got to really be able to handle a lot. I mean, that's, that's way more volatile than Bitcoin, even at the time. Uh, so, some of these get into some really, even like the underlying is volatile. Right, right. So the more uh, the more volatile the underlying is, the more volatile obviously the 3X ETF will be. Um, and what I would say about that though is what's really sort of good is that it's evolved over time and that the holding periods for JNUG and JDUST and Nugget and Dust are a day or less, whereas the holding periods for 3X S&P could be a couple days to a week. So the average holding periods in general for levered ETFs have come in a lot, which is great. People are trading them and not you know, kind of blindly buying them and, and hoping for the best. Yeah, and that's what we look for. We want to make sure there's a lot of turnover. And if so, we're like, okay, the people are probably using those correctly. 
there's examples of ones that should be traded that aren't. Um, like USO is a good example. But leverage mostly, I think 40% of the shares trade every day. So that means the average holding period is a day or two. To that point, just to give some wide numbers here, there's 230 leveraged and inverse ETFs, but they only account for $50 billion, which is 1.5% of all ETF assets. However, they, they make up probably 8 9% of all ETF trading, right? So again, people trade the crap out of them, which is what you, it, that's being used correctly for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we want to see. And and if you look at the last couple of weeks when we've seen vol come back into the market, we've traded about a third of our assets under management almost on a daily basis. So people are definitely, investors are definitely trading and turning these over in the last few days when volatility is there, which is great. Because again, I've been doing this for, I've been with Direction for about a decade now. When I first started, I think that the concern around education and how to use them was you know less than it is now. People are definitely trading now and the holding periods have come in, which is... And most ETFs hold stocks, bonds, or futures. Um, these don't. These hold swaps. Can you explain what a swap is and who it's with and whatnot? Like, what's in the fund? Sure. So you, we have bull funds and bear funds. So in the bull funds, it's about 250 to 280% swap. And then the remainder of the position is a basket of stocks or a very liquid one beta ETF. So for example, S&P 500 basket might be 20 to 50% or SPY might be 20 to 50%. And the rest is a swap on SPY. In the bear fund, it's essentially... 100 or 300% exposure via swap. So the way that swaps work is on the long side, we essentially receive performance on the index. On the short side, we owe performance on the index. To who? To banks. So we have seven counterparties right now. Um, and, you know, our competitor has the similar group of counterparties as well. So this so- is like what? Goldman? Yeah, so this Credit is Suisse. Goldman, Credit Suisse, um, BNP, Paribas, Citigroup, um, Morgan, you know, Morgan Stanley, BAML, UBS. Those are some of our some of our counterparties. Um, and what we do on a daily basis is we look at what's going on with the underlying index. So let's say S and P is rallying today. Um, and you have two factors, the primary market and the secondary market. So secondary is the index itself, and primary is creation and redemption activity. So that's authorized participants essentially creating or redeeming shares. And we have a number at the end of the day. So if, let's say, the S&P is up and there are a lot of creates, we go to whichever bank, City, UBS, Merrill, Credit Suisse, and we say we need to buy $50 million of exposure and swap to S&P. If there are redemptions, that number could be, you know, five million, whatever it is. Um, we're buying and selling swap on a daily basis and managing the fund that way. So the bank does the trading. That's the important thing. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. We touched on gold, China, tech. What isn't 
leverage used for? So the issue or something that would hold us back from launching a new fund would be liquidity in the underlying and options for us to create the fund. So for example, one of the most top popular topics out there has been Bitcoin related products or marijuana related ETFs. You know, the liquidity and the availability of underlyings is just not there to support a three beta fund. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like that, we tend to stay away from, you know, direction is kind of risk averse in, in terms of, you know, we don't want to launch a product that if there was an underlying move of 20%, we couldn't rebalance on a daily basis. So for example, we stay away from VIX because we just worry about what would happen with the futures market. And we kind of saw that blow up um, a couple of times in history here. So we tend to stick to very liquid. They can be volatile, but they have to be liquid and there has to be a lot of options <laughs> to build the ETF. That's how crazy the VIX area is. Yeah. That the 3X people, will, they're like, we're not touching that. Yeah. We, don't go, we don't go there. Yeah. That, we got to have velocity shares in here. I mean, that's like, that's NC17 territory. Yeah. And how lucrative is the leverage space? Well, the management fee on the majority of three beta ETF products is 95 BIPs, and we have about 13 billion AUM. Most of that is in 3X ETFs. So that gives you a sense of, you know, the profit on, on the ETFs. Of course, there are financing expenses and things like that. But, um, you know, when we, we look at the revenue of the ETF industry, it's something we do every year. We call it Welcome to the Jungle because there's just not <laughs> a lot of revenue. So be warned. But the leverage providers do the best. Uh, they punch way above their weight. They might rank 11th and 12th asset-wise, but they probably rank 5th and 6th revenue-wise because that when you trade, uh, traders don't really care what the fees are. That's why BlackRock still makes the most money from EEM, even though most people are going to IEMG because the traders, they, they don't really care that it costs, uh, whatever, 70 basis points. So I think you guys are a good takeover target, frankly, for uh, a company looking to get a foothold into ETFs, a steady ready, uh, revenue stream. Janus bought Velocity Shares, which was a wild, head-scratching uh, acquisition, but it honestly, those velocity shares are contribute like ninety five percent of the revenue of Janus's ETF line. So, what's the play? Are you guys gonna are are you looking for uh, for bigger fish, or or are you happy where you are? We are the big fish right now. Yeah, there you so. go. <laughs> so they're going. Ne- ne- never you know. disclose that on this podcast. I would, I would definitely you tell you just, right now. Yeah, you should. Here's some inside information, and yeah, I am now totally. fired. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and just quickly before we uh, go on to some other topics, the double short. Yes. Now this is a trade that hedge funds love to do, where they short both the three X long and the short. Basically, it's a bet on volatility. What percentage of your three X ETF family volume? is the double short versus regular use? I would say it's about 10%. And in a way, it's probably shrinking, which sort of seems counterintuitive because that trade is now working. So a lot of hedge funds have been doing that trade for many years. But as we said, the market has been low volatile and trending. So the problem that um, they face now is that you know, the trade definitely works. If you have volatile markets and you have, say, a 3x gold miners bull fund and a gold miners bear fund, they're both decaying. So if you're short both of them, in theory, you'll generate alpha. The trick, though, is the borrow. And as we have more volatility, the cost of the borrow for the hedge funds to employ that trade goes up. So you need some serious returns to make up for what they're charging you to short the products. But, you know, that being said, the biggest double short trades are still in, you know, tech, semiconductors, emerging markets, China. And it's probably about 10 percent of the ETF AUM out there. So the way that we, you know, people always say, why do you talk about the double short? You work for the company. Isn't that an opinion that it's it's bad? It, it's absolutely not. The products are tactical trading tools. If you short both of them, it's a way to generate alpha. And for us, you know, when when you go to or a client goes to short 
nugget or dust or whatever it might be, someone behind the scenes has to create those shares. So it doesn't hurt our AUM, actually. I, like, I'm I'm really intrigued by the idea it's of the It's intriguing. I love that it has a name. It, totally. It just, and, and that you can do it, you know, in multiple different, uh, uh, with multiple different funds. Yeah. Uh, it, it takes cojones, I think, though. Well, I, I think, uh, was it Credit Suisse or somebody did a study on the double short, and they found that it does work most of the time, but when it doesn't work, when that compounding effect kicks in, and you start to, that starts to kick in, and you're short, you know, that downside is unlimited, right? And that's when it it's hurts. not one hand, it's two hands. Yeah, the t- yeah you, that's exactly right. The tail risk on the double short is is scary. Yeah, so the two big risks for the trade are basically a trend, that you catch a trend on one side or the other. And the second thing is is borrow risk. So recall risk and re-rate risk. And, you know, we, we saw that this trade, you know, the borrow was very um, efficient. It, would, it was cheap, I would say, for, you know, prior to this year, the last decade or so. But that's changing. It's becoming more expensive to finance these trades. So that increases your risk, too. Um, so, you know, unless you're in a position where you're a huge hedge fund and you have awesome borrow, it's it, it's t- it's not an everyday trade, right? It's it's definitely more of a sophisticated, um, you know, hedge fund type of trade. Um, so one question on uh, some concerns about leverage besides the usage, which we just went over. Um, the Boston Fed did a study, but I've seen this before, which is basically they looked at different ways ETFs could actually increase structural risk to the market. And one of the ways they did, they said that there could be some extra risk is the amplifying of volatility by leverage ETFs because here's the quote, basically, at the end of the day, you rebalance and both must trade in the same direction as the market moves earlier that day. So that provides a little amplification of what just happened. And I think it's that daily rebalancing at the end of the day that some people have concerned about. I know there's a lot of maybe histrionics around it. Can you just set us straight about what's going on and whether there is some extra risk there? Sure. So there there are three factors. One is that you have bull funds and bear funds. So the trade at the end of the day on either side is not as big as you think because you have to rebalance both funds, right? So there's a net position there. The second thing is that there are often contrarian trades. If everything is sort of down today, let's say tech semiconductors, S&P are down today, we often see creates come in. So people are taking the contrarian view or else they're unwinding a hedge. So that reduces the buy into the end of the, the, the day trading. Um, it's a lot less than you would think. So I looked back at this and our, on our most volatile day, we were one half of 1% of the close activity. On an average day, we're one-tenth of 1% of the end of day activity. So we basically are an absolute blip on the radar. This is for ETFs in general. When you look at them, I mean, even all ETFs combined only own maybe 8% of the stock market. And if leveraged is 1.5% of that 8%, I mean, you're down to some pretty small numbers. Usually context calms people down with ETF worries. When you start to show the whole big picture, they're like, oh, okay. Um, but that's something that comes up repeatedly. I'm sure you get questions on this a lot. Yeah, I think I think that you know when you see big moves in the market and you think of three beta funds or any kind of product that has a tendency to have high volatility and needs to buy or sell in the market, and especially at the end of the day, there's this general thesis that, oh, well, it must impact the close. But the truth is, again, on the most volatile day, we were one half of 1%. So that's a 2008 end of day trade. So what when you talk to your power users, uh, what do they want that they can't get yet? So 
Well, a lot of people want, you know, 3X, anything Hot. tacky like 3X 5G, 3X Pod, 3X Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but there have been, you know, we're always getting good ideas. We have a lot of traders that trade internationally and they would like to see, you know, more bull and bear funds on single country. They would like to see, um, you know, more bull and bear funds on specific regions that might be impacted by, say, you know, European politics, Brexit, things like that. So there are some thematic ideas. Um, we were actually pushed to use leverage in different ways for buy and hold clients. So we have light leverage too. So 1.25 for traders who don't trade but want a little bit. So is that single X? It's 1.25 X. 1.25 yeah. so X. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you're getting a, a little bit of enhancement over the long run. And that's that's just, you know, a lot of clients said, hey, I just think that I'd like to be invested in the S&P 500 for the next 100 years because it's 12% annualized return no matter what happens in between. But I don't know if I want to amplify it I don't want to amplify it 3X, but 2.25 extra makes sense to me. The amount of volume taking on Diet is, Coke. Yeah, Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, and you know the both yellow le- light. <laughs> both leverage companies. Um, I frequently mm-hmm. compare to the Godfather. Remember in Godfather Two when he's like, "We're we're trying to take the family legit." You know that's his big thing. They all both came out with the line of plain vanilla ETFs. Uh, Direction has some some somewhat successful ones that are just uh, normal, right? Like you have QQQE, which is the equal weighted Qs, which we just analyzed a couple weeks ago in the show. Yeah. Um, what's behind that? Why not just be like that? leverage provider why do those other ones it's a, like a little off brand because i think that i think we've done really well with the tactical clients so there's three types of clients i think out there one is tactical they're short term traders they love us they know us they're comfortable with 3x then you have thematic and strategic so thematic are the 6 to 12 month guys and they're not necessarily using leverage they're more or less looking to express thematic views or macro views and they might do something like you know we launch relative weight ETFs they're 15050 so they're looking to you know express a view that they like value over growth for the next 6 months mm-hmm. and they'd like to you know get the benefit of value performing and then the spread between value and growth performing in one product mm-hmm. so that's a thematic you know, not high leverage product. Standard deviation is similar to the underlying one beta product. It can be bought and hold for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And then there's the strategic client, which is Eric, you know, the the, the guy or girl who uses QQQE, which is crushing it right now because mm-hmm. Fang is getting crushed right, right now. So that's, you know, a NASDAQ equal product. And and that's really, you know, the, the long, and I would consider Portfolio Plus in that group too. It's the long-term strategic asset allocator, you know, holding periods of years. They might just want a little bit of, additional exposure to an index like 1.25 or they might want you know a strategic beta like yeah. an insider ETF a Nasdaq equal weight something like that so we touched we, we basically realized you know hey we're really good at doing this one thing for this one group of clients but that's there's other player types there's too. other player types too and they're the you know massive RAs and asset managers out there so. so so because this is by and large sort of a daily ritual with folks uh, and you describe these different player types. When you guys look at the sort of the, I guess the inflows and the trading patterns, how big of of, of views are people expressing? How much are they putting in? There are some pretty big views. There are some pretty big views. You know, we can we have days of twenty million to forty million shares traded in some of our top ETFs, and lately we've seen you know massive increases across the board in everything that has to do with anything you know growthy, high beta. China trade tariff related, so um, the trades could be you know anywhere from a million to sixty million. They're, they're big tickets. They're definitely big tickets as compared to you know a newer product that we might launch where somebody puts in fifty thousand dollars. You know what, these tend to be bigger trades. And what do you attribute 
that increase in the size of the trades too? I think opportunity. I think short-term opportunity. So we really see big bumps in in AUM and trading around um, times like earnings, for example, where people have very strong conviction about certain names coming out. We'll see a lot of flow and we'll also see a lot of performance. And then just big macro events that move the market. You know, the, the tactical, technical traders are, you know, the, the people who understand the products and have a strong opinion. It's a great way. You know, where are you going to make 33% in a month right now? Well, semiconductor bear fund. That trade's not for everyone, but for the sophisticated trader who has a view on semiconductors and it plays out, it's it's a great short-term alpha opportunity. Yeah, there's a hedge fund I interviewed for my book, um, Metropolitan Capital, I believe is the name, and Sharon Snow, who was a great interview. This hedge fund does nothing but leveraged ETFs, but they only invest once in a while. Like, like 18 different metrics have to line up, and then they know they want that they they're so convicted they go all in with the 3x um so it's sort of like they just wait and wait and wait and they see an opportunity and then they just use the leverage etf to make it and um it's a really interesting way of investing it's, it takes a lot of discipline and, and patience, but when you pounce, you pounce hard. Yeah, I, so I, I know Sharon very well. They are very, very disciplined in their views, and as you said, they they don't trade often, but when they trade, they trade with high conviction, and they trade in size, and they have mathematical mathematical models which give them a signal, and you know until they get to a sweet spot, a perfect environment to go long or short a bull or bear ETF you know, they're sort of hands off. And it's really worked out for them because they they have called a lot of the correct trends. So they've they've been doing a great job. So uh, now that we're kind of closing here, let's have a little fun here. One of the things with leverage ETFs that rules is the tickers. I mean, every time they have a new one, the tickers are amazing. I mean, they're home runs every time. So recently you had talk and mute, T-A-W-K and mute. That's going to be 3X communications and 3X bear <laughs> communications. Want and need are good. Ying and Yang, Dig and Dug, Drip and Gush. Oh, these are amazing. What's that one for? What are those for? Oil? Drip and Gush, yeah. They're, they're 3X S&P Oil and Energy ETFs. There you go. Cure and Sick. Is Sick still around or did that close? Sick, sick got the flu. Yes. Yeah, okay. So just <laughs> only Cure survived. So good ticker. Great band. Reminds me of uh, the band, The Cure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually a great trade now, too. How many, performer. how many of those tickers can you take credit for? You know, I, <laughs> I most of the tickers that I come up with are terrible, so I can't really. Do you guys have I can't a really take. We it, it's the staff. Like a, we we send emails around. We argue about it. Really? You know, yeah. We we have different opinions on it, but I have to say it's it's more or less our trading desk that comes up with the great Let ideas. Let me know if there's ever a roundtable <laughs> meeting that we can be flies on the wall for. I want yeah. to be on that one. Well, are there any tickers that were on the cutting room floor that that are just interesting or should have made it? I mean, for the healthcare, one of the one of the names uh, we have Lab U and Lab D. That's three X Biotech, and you know, Rat and Rats was on the table for a while. <laughs> but then we thought, you know, that gets yeah, into there's, there's some some, some people, animal yeah, treatment yeah, issues, and yeah, yeah, We try to be careful. Yeah, um, sounds like because they're fun, but they're not over the PC line. Right, you have to be careful. Yeah, Rat would would definitely speak to that. Right. I think. Uh, so, how often will you sit on a ticker that you like, even though you don't have that product yet? So we filed for a whole bunch of products and, you know, we do reserve tickers along the way. So it's, you know, when we have an idea that we think is absolutely brilliant, we'll do it. And, and a lot of ETF providers do that, actually. So 
Yeah, there's a lot reserved. It's a whole thing. I've heard that they trade tickers now that you have on loan or that you've reserved. You can actually like go find the person and make an offer or something. Yeah, right, right. And and if you have a product that another ETF provider would like to launch and and use your product for an underlying, you know, they might kind of bait you with, hey, we have this great idea. So, and you know. When you talk about new launches, I do find sometimes you know an ETF has arrived when there's a 3x version. Like I think cybersecurity, do you have a 3x cybersecurity now? Yeah, but I'll give you an even better example than that. We have um, UBOT, which is- 3x robotics. Exactly. And that ETF, it was sort of, we launched it and it was admittedly a bit sleepy, but I just, I absolutely love this idea. I think it's the way of the future, right? Robotics and, and AI. And, you know, Bots really started to crush it, and and we had you know prior to all this China stuff, that ETF was up close to 100. percent It's still up about 35 percent year to date, but UBOT has really picked up in steam with AUM and trading, and you know it's on the map because it's it's popular and topical. But yeah, it it, it hit its stride. You know, we talked about Qs being like the sun in this sort of like mini solar system. That's the three X leverage is is like something that else that would orbit a hit ETF usually, and then UBOT sends some volume assets and interest to the underlying as well. Right. So uh, that it all feeds into that main body. But first, you got to get the assets. Like I think Robo and Bots together hit $5 billion, And then you start to see options on them, the 3X ETFs launching, um, et cetera, and then copycats. And then all of a sudden, you got a whole new category that just was born. Yeah. And on the flip side, there are so many good ideas out there right now. Like I- I'm a big enthusiast in the office of we have to launch this. Look at this idea. It's so cool and whatever. But, you know, there are some regulatory hurdles, too. So with in the case of bots, we had to wait for it to get big enough in order for us to be able to launch the 3X ETF product. But there are some awesome ideas out there right now they're too small not liquid enough but will someday be three extremes and um you know some people would ask me like is there ever going to be a 4x etf and there was a filing by a company called four shares what a great name for 4x <laughs> and they filed for 4x s&p i believe um but the sec initially said okay but then they rescinded i think there was a mini freak out um in social media on it and uh I don't think the SEC wanted the PR issue around that, but did, did you you know anything about the four shares or four X or would you ever do that if you could? Well, I look there's there's a lot of leverage in the environment, right? Futures are are ten X, mortgages on your house are 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 you know essentially leverage, and it's more in its purest form. So I think that leverage in the ecosystem is generally good. Um, you know, the reason we stopped at three is because we thought that it's probably not going to happen but if there was a 30% move in an underlying index and you know it's stuck it could wipe out a fund so when you talk about 25% move in a day we started to worry that okay that could actually you know that could actually happen so that would really be my you know my sort of reserve on launching forex and and more but i think you know for the regulators it's it's just more about product structure you know where they want to kind of draw the lines, and you know I'm not sure what their final final thoughts on it are, but it didn't launch. So the Forex S and P wouldn't even rank in the top 50 of volatility, though, because the S and P probably would never go down 30 percent of a day. And if it did, society would have more problems than the four shares. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. But <laughs> right. I think I think it's let's start with S and P. Well, why don't we make <laughs> yeah right? You know, yep. It's opening the Pandora. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, again, I think that there's. Just the PR worry. You know, what's the SEC like? Right. You know. Sylvia, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. 
or on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can find Sylvia and Direction at Direction L ETFs. That's Direction with an X. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. How does Invesco QQQ rethink possibility? By rethinking access to innovation and the NASDAQ 100. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.